Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. KYA is sponsored by Book Riot's mystery thriller podcast, Red or Dead. It's spooky season, readers. Get your thrills with Red or Dead, Book Riot's bi-weekly mystery fiction podcast dedicated to the worlds of mystery and thriller literature. Join hosts and genre experts Rincy and Katie as they catch up on mystery and thriller news, chat about new releases, and recommend your next mystery and thriller reads, including your favorite subgenres like true crime, cozies, procedurals, and all things Halloween-appropriate. Get Red or Dead, that's R-E-A-D or Dead, on your podcatcher of choice. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from new stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a Book Riot podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, and our brand new co-host, Sarah Hannah Gomez. We are recording on Thursday, October 8th, 2020, and welcome, Hannah. I'm so excited to have you aboard the Hey YA podcast. Um, When Eric said he was leaving, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know who knows as much about YA as he does and who would bring the same sort of like witty banter and conversation and then I realized Hannah would and so I'm super excited to introduce you if you want to tell listeners a little bit about who you are about your background what it is that draws you to YA and maybe some of your favorite YA books over the course of your you know, reading, reading life. Uh, super easy questions, I know. Oh, absolutely. There's <laughs> nothing easier than trying to remember books you've read. Um, hi, mm-hmm. I am so excited to be here. Um, I, that Getting an email from you about that, that was just, you know, get in, loser, we're going podcasting. I was like, ah, <laughs> oh my God, living the dream. Um, I feel unworthy, but I will try. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I am from Tucson, Arizona, born and raised. So um, I'm the daughter of teachers. So I grew up with all kinds of books in the house. Um, I always tell people like, you know, when you're a kid, there's like so-and-so has the house with the pool. So-and-so has the house with the great snacks. You know, everyone has like a reputation for why you should hang out at their house. And mine was just like the house with the bookshelves. <laughs> so, you know, maybe not like the coolest hangout for some kids, but I definitely had friends where we would be like, we're going to get together and then just read the whole time. Oh, I I was that kid too, except what we used to do is it wasn't books. We would have stacks of magazines and it's like we'd sit on the bed and exchange magazines. That I mean, yes. That's a, Mm -hmm. my mom Mm -hmm. wouldn't subscribe me to like 17 and it took a while to get YM, which RIP, um, (laughs) YM and Jane RIP. (laughs) So yes, definitely trading magazines. Um, so it's weird, I guess 
if I think about it, I've been part of the YA world for about a decade, um, which mm-hmm. is, you know, like, I've been not a technical YA for about a decade and a half. So so weird. <laughs> I guess there was a little gap there. Um, but I, after college, went to grad school at Simmons College in Boston to study children's and young adult lit. And my reasoning behind that was, I feel like just if you were to you know, be an alien picking over the remnants of our society and you picked up a kids or a YA book, it would tell you so much about like what we as a culture value and believe and worry about versus the average book for grownups, which I feel like is less likely to be a time capsule and more likely to be mm-hmm. navel gazing. So <laughs> that is one of the reasons I study YA and kid lit. And then I also just as a reader, I just find it so much more interesting. I feel like it's more boundary pushing, genre pushing. There's just so much good stuff in in YA. And I think my inner teen is still like in there being like, I'm struggling. So I just want to read <laughs> books to be like, it's okay. Um, so that is why I do YA. Um, as far as me, I'm also a writer. My third book just came out in August from Capstone Publishing. It's called Mari Bell versus the Volcano. So it's a high-low kind of like upper middle grade about the Mount St. Helens eruption of 1980, which everyone thinks was 20 years ago, but was 40 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> oh, ouch. I know. I told my parents I was writing about it and they were like, well, you remember that. It was very recently. And I was like, I was not alive. they're like oh my god (laughs) so historical fiction I looked over so many topographical maps I never want to look at a map again Mm -hmm. Um, but I know random things about volcanoes now and I get to tell people about them and knowing about volcanoes makes my nieces very impressed with me the fact that I wrote a book they're like "Uh uh-huh I was gonna say like if you have young younger kids in your life, the fact that you know all this like random stuff about volcanoes is probably the coolest thing in the world to them. Right. Meanwhile, I'm like, I as gifts get you signed books by authors and I write books and you're like, um, yeah, so anyway. <laughs> but I'm like, so a lahar is when mud and lava mix together and they're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> So you never know what will make you cool. And that's probably the other reason I read YA, because I just <laughs> always wanted to be cool and popular and never got there. So <laughs> I feel that deeply. Right. Do you want to um do you want to mention maybe some of your favorite YA books over the course of your reading them, studying them? Like what or maybe two or three that kind of come to mind as being among your favorites? So from when I was a teenager, I remember being super struck by Gingerbread by Rachel Cohn Mm. and then the sequels that came out of that. She is the first author I remember like writing fan mail to. Oh, wow. Yes. And I would just be like, I have to gush. This is amazing. You totally know a teen voice. And like, I don't think I even knew the term YA, but I was just like, she feels me. Um, so when I met her like years later, she was like, oh, I have to give you a hug. And I nearly died. <laughs> so gingerbread going way back. Um, also, A Great and Terrible Beauty was a very meaningful book to me when I was a youngin by Libba Bray. And then as an adult reading them, 
More recently, um, some of my favorite books last year were The Downstairs Girl by Stacey mm. Lee, The Good Luck Girls by Charlotte Nicole Davis, When the Ground is Hard by Mala Nunn, just for a few examples. I am a sucker for like girl groups and school stories and summer camp stories. So get me nice, like a bunch yeah. of like smart kids being like sassy and I am <laughs> so there. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man, we're going to have so much fun talking about so many books, not just in this episode, but from here on out, because I think we have some similar tastes and also some very dissimilar tastes. So it'll be it'll be fun. Absolutely. Let's uh, hit our first sponsor and then we can dive in. I'm so excited about this topic. Our first sponsor is Winter White and Wicked by Shannon Didamore on an island cursed by an Eternal winter, rig driver Sylvie takes comfort in two things, the solitude of the roads and the favor of winter, an icy spirit who has protected her since she was a child. But when her best friend disappears, Sylvie must make a dangerous haul for a smuggler she wouldn't normally work with, the infamous Mars Dresden. Sylvie will do whatever it takes to save her friend, but when the time comes, she'll have to choose. Safety, anonymity, and the favor of winter or the future of the island that she calls home. That is Winter White and Wicked by Shannon Didamore. And that sounds like an awesome, like, winter read for the season coming up. Can we just also talk about the name Mars Dresden? As like, I know. Wow, that is a name. I was like, that is like, uh, you know, antagonist name right there. Oh, yes, that is quite the name. I love it. All right, so our first topic is girls in sports. And I'm so excited about this because there have been so many discussions I've seen on social media over the last month or so in particular that there aren't many YA books that feature girls in sports. And these books exist. Um, They're actually, they're great. There's a lot of them. But marketing doesn't always do a good job of highlighting the sports angles in these books. So it was interesting to see as Furia by Shamile Saeed Mendez hit shelves and was picked up by the Reese Witherspoon YA book club that there was a lot of talk about sports books. And so it seemed fitting to really dig into this a little bit and highlight the books that are out there, the more recent books that are out there. And I also wanted to mention, I'll put these links in the show notes, but There's a really fabulous package that Jessica Luther did at Teen Vogue a couple of years ago, which looked at girls playing sports and included in that package was a piece on YA representation of girls in sports. And even from that piece until now, we have seen just a really nice increase in the number of these books being published each year. But again, I think part of the problem is that they're not marketed at that angle. Um, They're more likely marketed at the romance angle that might be in there or one of the big issues in there that um, drives that teen to become so passionate about their sport. So like I said, I'll link that in the show notes and I'll also link to a piece that I wrote last spring that highlighted 50 must-read YA sports books, which obviously feature a variety of gender identities in the story. So it's not just girls, but there are a number of female lead stories in there. I am super excited about this topic because growing up, I hated doing sports. I was terrible at them. 
And then my first two books, actually, before the one that just came out, were both sports novels. And when mm-hmm. I told my family I was writing that, they were like, that's funny, but what's your book actually about? And I was like, sports. <laughs> so kids, my first book's about softball. And then the second one's about cross-country running. And everyone who's known me since before my life as a fitness instructor, which is the last five years, was like, but why would they ask you? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I kind of love it. Like, even not being a very sportsy person in my personal life, like, watching the Olympics growing up was Mm -hmm. so meaningful to me. Like, I just, I love watching certain sports. So I am super excited about this topic, too. And it's interesting because I, in high school, in middle school and high school, I played sports. But I feel like I really hated physical fitness and activity because of gym class. Like I just, it made me really hate it, even though I liked participating in sports. And it wasn't until I was an adult and doing physical activity on my own that I really came to love it. And part of me wonders like how much the really sort of results-based, competitive-based, comparison-based formula that goes into physical education in middle school and high school kind of um, kills a passion for sports for some young people Um, because I think it harmed mine for sure. Absolutely agree. Um, When I was a school librarian, the school I worked at um, about seven years ago had, you know, they had rebranded it fitness and wellness, which I think a lot more schools are doing. And I was like, Mm. oh, my God, I would have been so much more fit so much earlier if they'd been like, oh, you're not good at basketball. Riding a bicycle is totally like also awesome Mm -hmm. and fine. But they didn't. It was like if it doesn't have a ball, it's not (laughs) it doesn't exist. So and then there's there's all the like, you know, to be considered fit or healthy, you have to, you know, be able to run a mile in this amount of time or um Oh my goodness, I can't even remember some of the ones that there were. There was like sit and stretch. I remember that one because I was really good at that. And it's like, that actually didn't measure anything except that I'm hypermobile. <laughs> Not that I'm, you know, flexi- flexible in a healthy way. It's like, I'm actually a little over flexible here. But um, that kind of stuff, I think, really made me feel like activity was something to resent rather than to enjoy for what it is. Absolutely. And I know we're both like in sort of like second or third careers as people who teach various fitness formats. So it's funny that we both have that background of like, this is awful. And now we're like, be fit with me. Yeah. And I mean, I think part of it is making it clear that fitness is personal to everybody. Like there's not one formula to it. And you try things, you find out if you like them or hate them, you try something else and it's okay. Um, Which I think ties into what makes these books so compelling for me as a reader is watching these teens who know what they're passionate about and like pursuing it wholeheartedly. Like I didn't have that, but I respect the heck out of it. Absolutely agree. That's it's so amazing to see like Gen Z and how comfortable they are being themselves. And I'm like, wow, Mm. if only I had had that. (laughs) Right. Right. Do you want to uh, kick it off? What's your first book? Sure. My first book is one I just read this summer called Breath Like Water by Anna Jarzab. 
Um, so the little flap copy bit is Susanna Ramos has always loved the water. A swimmer whose early talent made her a world champion, Susanna was poised poised for greatness in a sport that demands so much of its young. But an inexplicable slowdown has put her dream in jeopardy, and Susanna is fighting to keep her career afloat when two important people enter her life. A new coach with a revolutionary training strategy and a charming fellow swimmer named Harry Matthews. <laughs> As Susanna begins her long and painful climb back to the top, her friendship with Harry blossoms into passionate and supportive love. But Harry is facing challenges of his own, and even as their bond draws them closer together, other forces work to tear them apart. As she struggles to balance her needs with those of the people who matter most to her, Susanna will learn the, learn the cost and the beauty of trying to achieve something extraordinary. Swimming was, like, my sport if I had a sport growing up, mm -hmm. so... Reading this, like, it's been a long time since I did anything even remotely, like, lap swimming-y, but, oh, it was so nice to, like, feel like I was in the water. And, like, <laughs> there are such great descriptions of what it feels like to really be, like, in the zone, racing, like, you, you feel like you are inside her body swimming. It's amazing. I love that. I can't wait to read that one. Um, my first pick is Furia by Shamile Saeed Mendez. And of course, I'm going to start with the book. That was what led us to wanting to talk about girls in sports. And this is one of those books that if you're looking for very sports-centered, then the story about Camilla, a girl who secretly plays soccer outside the watchful eyes of her conservative Argentinian parents will be your catnip. So this is full of intensity and passion for the game. And what makes it stand out is that it's also this really fascinating exploration of feminism and the challenges of being female in a country like Argentina, where women's rights are not at all what they're like in the U.S., so Camilla is surrounded by boys, her older brother, as well as one of his best friends who are able to participate in soccer and can be these heroes on the field, whereas she has to create this whole lie in order to even play. And initially I was ready to be annoyed because there's a big romance in this book, but I should have trusted that the romance plays a bigger role in the soccer aspect of the story and the feminist angle of the story than um, I thought it would. And because the thing that was super satisfying in this book is that Camilla is so passionate for football, um, soccer in the U.S., and this romance butts up against that. And so she really has to learn to stand up for herself and what is important to her. It's fantastic read and if you are at all interested in soccer or a book that is set in a country outside the U.S. this is totally a win and that is Furia by Shamile Saeed Mendez. I'm super stoked to read that I know it's on its way to be mailed to my house and I'm like ah <laughs> <laughs> my next book is See No Color by Shannon Gibney. Mm. It came out a few years ago, but the paperback, it was just reissued and has this really gorgeous cover um, this summer. So pretty recent new buzz. It is about 16-year-old Alex Kirtridge, who is biracial and adopted into a white family. So when the book first came on my radar, radar years ago... I was like, oh, my God, a book about adoption. I'm adopted. And it's just also, I mean, it's amazing. 
But mm-hmm. Alex has always been known as Little Kirtridge because her father was a really amazing baseball player and has raised her to be one as well. But she also deals with a lot of microaggressions due to you know being in a mainly white community. And even within her family, there's sort of like a benevolent racism stream of them being like, well, yeah, but she's half white, like always bringing that up. So as she gets to know a black guy named Reggie, it kind of like really makes her question or at least explore the black part of her identity as she's also growing up and her body is changing. So she's also kind of being like, who am I as a baseball player? So it has these two really great threads that keep intersecting. Um, Love it. Yeah, I love this one when it came out because I read it when it came out um, and love the new cover of it as well. It feels like um, that first cover was beautiful. The second cover feels like it is very of the moment. And so we'll probably get on quite a few more radars as people see it and are like, oh, it looks like, you know, every other YA book out there that I love. So I want to pick it up. There's a um, if I'm remembering this correctly, there's a great scene in this one where one of the parents like goes as far as they can to find a black hair shop for her because she wants to have her hair done by somebody who understands her hair. And I remember reading that and just thinking like, this is a really moving scene in this book. Um, Something that I don't think I had read in any other YA and I loved it. Oh yeah, that's a good point. That is an amazing like affirming experience, I think, Mm -hmm. when you're adopted. So, yeah, and her parents really had to like understand why that was so important, and and did that work to like do that for her, which I thought was awesome. My next pick is a season of Daring Greatly by Ellen Emerson White, and this might be one of my favorite YA sports books. It's wildly underrated, and it follows a girl who is awesome at baseball. And I I emphasize baseball, not softball, because that plays a little bit of a, a Part in the story. Um, it's about the challenges of being invited to be part of the boys club when this girl wants nothing more than to be able to be herself. So Jill is at the end of her high school baseball career and she's being chased by big impressive colleges as well as the major leagues. So when she's a third round draft pick, she knows that she is going to take her chance in the big leagues, but more she knows she's making history as the first woman in professional baseball. And so this is a story about her experiences navigating the tricky terrain of bro world sports and being herself when she isn't exactly the sort of happy-go-lucky stereotypical female that people want or expect her to be. So throughout she sees and feels the sort of pressure to be uh, the girl and the pressure to be the idol when she's just trying to remain true to herself and her own needs. And it's this wonderfully complex story about the girl who isn't necessarily likable, being true to herself, even when everyone around her expects her to be somebody she's not. Um, it's just, uh, if you love baseball, you're going to love this one. And all of the sexism in this book is explored so thoughtfully. And Jill is just a really rad, complex female main character. And that is A Season of Daring Greatly by Ellen Emerson White. I love that we both chose girls in baseball. Baseball. Like, mm-hmm. That's. There was a TV show that only lasted like half a season. I'll find the title and put it in the show notes about a 
girl who is um, drafted into the major league and all of the attendant struggles and fame and stuff that come with it. It was such a great idea for a show and I was so sad it got canceled, but I will find the title. Um, my next book is The Knockout by Sachini Patel. It's not out until January, but I'm so excited for it and just kind of astounded because I don't think the topic I've ever seen in YA. So I'm going to talk about it anyway, because it was high on my TBR. Um, If 17-year-old Karina Takar is going to alienate herself from the entire Indian community, she might as well do it gloriously. She's (laughs) landed the chance of a lifetime, an invitation to the U.S. Muay Thai Open, which could lead to a spot on the first ever Olympic team. I know, right? The cover is this amazing, like she's wrapped in, you know, she has her wrap ready to box. It's amazing. If only her sport wasn't seen as something too rough for girls, something she's afraid to share with anyone outside her family. Despite pleasing her parents, excelling at school, and making plans to get her family out of debt, Karina's never felt quite Indian enough, and her training is only making it worse. Which is inconvenient, since she's starting to fall for Amit Patel, who just might be the world's most perfect Indian. I know! Admitting her feelings for Amit will cost Karina more than just her pride. She'll have to face his parents' disapproval, battle her own insecurities, and remain focused for the big fight. Karina's bid for the Olympics could very well make history if she has the courage to go for it. I am stoked because a little before Corona entered the chat, I had just started going (laughs) to a boxing gym. Ooh, nice. Yes, which is, like, so outside any type of physical activity. Like, I am a very – I do Pilates, I do cycling, and my boss – is always talking about how much she loves boxing. And she used to be a model. So already, like, I love the kind of feminist aspect of, like, (laughs) you think this person's super girly, but also, like, don't fight Rachel. She will take you down. (laughs) So seeing this, I was like, oh, my God, boxing is my new love. And now I get to, like, read about martial arts. So excited for this book. It comes out in January, The Knockout by Sajni Patel. That sounds awesome. Wonderful. I am. Um, I've seen the cover of it and I never like paused to read the description of it yet. So now I know better than to do that. My next pick is Every Reason, Reason We Shouldn't by Sarah Fujimura. And this is one I haven't read, but I know will be entirely up my alley when I do. So I'm using the publisher's blip year here. And it does have a central romance to complement the sports angle. 15-year-old biracial figure skater Olivia Kennedy's Olympic dreams have ended. She's bitter but enjoying life as a regular teenager instead of an athlete. Until Jonah Choi starts training at her family's struggling rink. Jonah's driven, talented, and going for the Olympics in speed skating, completely annoying and totally gorgeous. Between teasing Jonah and helping her best friend try out for roller derby, figuring out life as a normal teen, and keeping the family business running, Olivia's got her hands full, but will rivalry bring her closer to Jonah or drive them apart? I wanted to put this one in here because... I don't think we talk enough about when somebody's dreams and passions end up not working out. And so, yes, her figure skating is not necessarily the central role of the story. You're not going to see her competing. But she's lost this thing that was so important to her. And I, I love those stories because they're so realistic. And that is Every Reason We Shouldn't by Sarah Fujimura. That sounds great. I feel like figure skating is everyone's favorite 
sport that they don't know how to do. <laughs> like it's so mm-hmm. yes. that and gymnastics are the best events at their respective Olympics without a doubt. Yes, yes, for sure. Right? And I don't know if it's because I grew up in the desert, so like nobody really ice skates <laughs> because you know, it's the desert. But oh, I've just always been fascinated by that since I was a kid and being like Christy Yamaguchi is my idol. So my next book is The Heartbeats of Wing Jones by Katherine Weber. Mm. This is another one that I have not read yet. But when I saw that it is about a girl who is biracial, I was like, woo! So that is one of my other catnips is people who are mixed like me. So the publisher's blurb for this one. Wing Jones, like everyone else in her town, has worshipped her older brother Marcus for as long as she can remember. Good-looking, popular, and the star of the football team, Marcus is everything his sister is not, and Wing is all too aware of this. Until the night when everything changes. Marcus, drunk at the wheel after a party, kills two people and barely survives himself. With Marcus now in a coma, Wing is crushed, confused, and angry. Could Marcus, the golden boy, really have done something so irresponsible, so reckless? Every night, unable to sleep, Wing finds herself sneaking out to go to the school's empty track. With the breeze in her hair and her feet pounding the dirt for hours and hours, she can imagine she is keeping Marcus's heart beating. If she runs hard enough, maybe he'll wake up from his coma. Maybe she'll free her family. This speaks to me so much as someone who really like discovered fitness late. And it's also kind of the plot angle for both of my sports novels, like this kind of accidentally discovering the the sport or the fitness activity that works for you and all of a sudden becoming sort of consumed by like how good it makes you feel like this high you're getting we talk about runner's Mm -hmm. high but i totally get like spin class high and pilates high (laughs) oh totally any anything where your endorphins get get moving is going to give you that same like quote-unquote runner's high oh yeah and you Um, won't kill your husband so (laughs) I I loved Wing Jones. Um, it's set during the Atlanta Olympics too, which gives this like extra layer of sports and competition and like discovering that thing that you're just super passionate about. Oh my god! Ninety six Olympics were the best Olympics. <laughs> yep. Carrie Strug, my idol. Yes. My other idol. Yes, <laughs> for sure. My next pick, speaking of Olympics, is Break the Fall by Jennifer Eocapelli. And this one came out earlier this year. I've still got a copy sitting on my review shelf. And for some reason, I haven't picked it up yet. That reason is probably we are in a pandemic and my reading has just not really been a thing this year. Um, I love the idea of seeing more gymnastics in YA since we see a lot of ballet. And I always have these two tied together in my mind because of the Olympics. Those are the two sports that I I find myself most drawn to. And it's interesting to look at them through a lens of how they're portrayed in pop culture, where you have um, ballerinas who are petite and they're very feminine, whereas gymnasts are muscular and not given that same sort of like romanticized image because they're strong machines. And so... Seeing more gymnastics books pop up makes me so happy because I want to read more of them. I want to read more ballet books as well, but I need an equal number of gymnastics books. Here's a little blurb for this one. Audrey Lee is going to the Olympics. 
Years ago, she could barely do a push-up as she recovered from spine surgery, one that could have paralyzed her. And now she's made the United States Olympic gymnastic team with her best friend, Emma, just like they both dreamed about since they were kids. She's on top of the world. The pressure for perfection is higher than ever when horrifying news rips the team apart. Audrey is desperate to advocate for her teammate who has been hurt by the one person they trusted most, but not all the gymnasts are so supportive. With the team on the verge of collapse, the one bright spot in training is Leo, her new coach's ridiculously cute son. And while Audrey probably, okay, definitely, shouldn't date him until after the games, would it really be the end of the world? Balancing the tenuous relationship between her teammates with unparalleled expectations, Audrey doesn't need any more distractions. No matter what it takes, she's not going to let anyone bring them down. But with painful revelations, incredible odds, and the very real possibility of falling at every turn, will Audrey's determination be enough? That is Break the Fall by Jennifer Iocapelli. That sounds awesome. Um... (laughs) Yes, that sounds amazing. I yesterday was avoiding work I had to do by binge watching American Ninja Warrior, which is my (laughs) latest favorite sport that I want to all of a sudden get into. And then my friend and I were talking about like, kind of different body types that you develop through different sports or that are like most conducive to certain sports. Um, where, you know, American Ninja Warrior is a sport for teensy people. And this friend is six one and I am five three. So we are often talking about our like very opposite problems with our body. <laughs> it was yeah. Ugh, it was a great conversation and I'm obsessed with that show. Um should we go into our next sponsor and then our next topic? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm going to really quickly mention one more book and then, yes, yes, for sure. Um, I just wanted to bring this one up. This one comes out in March next year. It's called Bruise by Tanya Botiju, and it's a roller derby book. I wanted to just bring that up because I am not a roller derby person at all, but I know so many people who are passionate about it. Like, this is the sport that they found after high school, after college that, like, did everything for them. And so this one follows a girl of color who... um, takes up roller derby and it's something that she is just finding herself absolutely passionate about get it on your radar for march that's bruised by tanya botiju awesome i had no idea that i knew multiple people in my day-to-day life who do roller derby it seems like a very like secret passion sport (laughs) that nobody watches and all of a sudden i want to go to I guess a derby. It's not called a match, right? It's just a derby. I think it's called a bout. Oh, ooh, like fights. That kind of makes yeah. sense. Okay, I think so. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so I know we could talk about a, a hundred more books. Yes. <laughs> in favor of also moving on to our next topic, our next sponsor is White Fox by Sarah Faring with Fierce Reads. Entertainment Weekly calls it a ghost story that will spook even the most hardened grown-ups, and I am like an emotionless ice queen, apparently, <laughs> say some people, with my reading taste. So I'm super excited to be spooked. Um, after their worst world-famous mother disappears under mysterious circumstances, sisters Manon and Thais are sent away from their remote Mediterranean home by their father. Lured home a decade later by the death of their father, the sisters discover their mother's legendary last work, White Fox, a screenplay filled with enigmatic metaphors. 
The clues in this dark fairy tale draw them deep into society's surreal underbelly, into the twisted secrets hidden by their glittering family to reveal the truth about their mother and themselves. I am already like running to find that book. It's White Fox by Sarah Faring. I can't wait to read that one. It sounds so good. Yes. Do you want to introduce our next topic since this was one that you threw out there and I was really excited about? Yes. Um, so science fiction and fantasy is a genre I like, but it so often comes in duologies and trilogies and quartets. And I, A, I'm just impressed when authors can like retain a thread for that long. <laughs> but I also find that as someone who reads a lot, even the best books start to just kind of the plot sort of like leaves my mind and I need to catch up on like which fairy was evil and who turned out to, (laughs) you know, be a witch and all that. So I feel sort of betrayed when I read a book and then find out it's a series and I'm going to have to wait 18 Mm -hmm. 18 months until the next one. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk about standalone science fiction and fantasy because I so often adore the concept of a thing, but don't want to read it until all the books are out. So if you are like me, (laughs) we thought we could come up with some standalones for you. Yeah, I'm the same way you are. Um, If I read a series, I need the whole series to be out. And so, like, I am going to finally start Libba Bray's Diviner series because all four books are out. But I had to wait a long time to even start with the first one. And so I think that's really where my, like, challenge with science fiction and fantasy is because they do, they they're these expansive worlds and they series bring this great opportunity for epic adventures and cliffhangers, but also like my brain needs one book um, or needs them all at once. And so I can't read them and just wait because I forget. Um, But when I think about standalone science fiction and fantasy, I always sort of find that sweet spot with magical realism and fabulism. So Think Nova Rensuma or Samantha Mabry or Anna Marie McLemore or Sean David Hutchinson. Like they do science fiction, magical realism, fabulism in standalone books. And so I always find myself drawn to their stories, in part because I know that it's a one volume like treat. Absolutely. That tends to be my favorite place, too. I think this is one of those places where we both see each other's Goodreads reviews and can tell whether we're going <laughs> to... I know for me, I'm like, well, if I know why Kelly liked it, I know whether I will like it or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. It's nice that those books tend to come in standalones. Yes. Um I'll start. My first one is uh, one that came out last year that I don't think enough people have read. And I talk about it a lot because more people need to read it. And that is The Grief Keeper by Alexandra Villasante. It's a really powerful science fiction book that hits so close to current social realities. The story follows a teen girl and her younger sister who are seeking asylum in the U.S. from El Salvador, where their lives are at great risk for a whole number of reasons. So when they finally make across the border they're held in a detention facility and marisol has an interview to seek asylum and it doesn't go particularly well so she suspects that her request is going to be denied and she needs to come up with an alternate plan she sees an opportunity when the guards are not paying attention to go run with her sister so they flee the facility and they're picked up 
by this woman who seems really nice. And she offers to help them get to New York, where they had planned to meet with a friend of the family who wants to help them. This woman, though, informs them she has an offer, that she's actually a government employee, and that there's this new procedure that needs a human test subject. The procedure will remove the traumas from somebody who is suffering and give them to another otherwise healthy individual. So this is like a way of transferring that trauma and helping people grieve and move forward. So if Marisol can be the participant, she'll get her asylum request, and afraid of deportation, she decides to go ahead with it. There is so much in this tightly written little book about love and family and immigration and race, but the thing that really, really struck me was how much it digs into this idea of grief. So Ray is a white girl struggling with grief who ends up being the giver, the person whose grief goes to Maricel, and This grief leads to deep depression and PTSD, and there's this assumption by the wealthy family that she's a part of that her grief can just disappear and that it will be poured into someone quote-unquote less worthy to make her feel better. And of course, the quote-unquote less worthy is a brown girl super desperate for freedom. And it's this horrifying premise, and yet one that is so fascinating and also not super far-fetched. It's a beautiful story of these two girls and the desperation they both have to just figure out who they are. There is also a queer romance in this one for readers who are looking for that. That is The Grief Keeper by Alex Viasante. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was just going to jump on and be like, and it's super gay (laughs) to Mm -hmm. make it even more awesome. It's a wonderful book. Um, My first pick is Odd and True by Kat Winters. Kat Winters is a great feminist read-alike for people who love the Miss Peregrine series by Ransom Riggs. Um, Mm -hmm. She really pulls on like weird photographs and newspaper advertisements and stuff for a lot of her books. So Odd and True is, um, I just started watching Supernatural. And so when I was looking over it again for this episode, I was like, oh my God, it's like sisters and Supernatural. So the blip for this one, um, Trudhan grew up hearing Odette's stories of their monster-slaying mother and a magician's curse. But now that True's older, she's starting to wonder if her older sister's tales were just comforting lies, especially because there's nothing fantastic about her own life, permanently disabled and in constant pain from childhood polio. In 1909, after a two-year absence, Odd reappears with a suitcase supposedly full of weapons and a promise to rescue True from the monsters on their way to attack her. But it's Odd who seems haunted by something. And when the sisters' search for their mother leads them to a face-off with with the Leeds Devil, a nightmarish beast that's wreaking havoc in the mid-Atlantic states, True discovers the peculiar possibility that she and her sister, despite their dark past and ordinary appearances, might indeed have magic after all. So I will say I have um, I have fibromyalgia and hypermobility, so I understand chronic pain. I do not have polio, and I do not need the assistive walking devices that True has. So I defer to anyone with that experience as far as whether they find the portrayal sensitive. I know for me, I felt like it was a, a respectful portrayal of d- disability, but just as a sort of warning to readers. But it is great if you love 
yeah, if you just you wish you saw more women in Supernatural, <laughs> which I do, it's just really fun monster slaying, but also this kind of like maybe the real monsters are the the very human among us. So it's a great <sighs> book. That's like my favorite premise, along with like the ghosts are really us. Um, right up there with that. Exactly. <laughs> the people are the disease. Mm-hmm. My next pick is one that came out earlier this year that I think got overlooked in light of, you know, anything going on in the world right now. And that is Black Girl Unlimited by Echo Brown. So this is not a memoir, but it's based on Echo's um, own experiences. So the main character shares a name with the author. And Echo is growing up on the east side of Cleveland with her mother, who is addicted to drugs and who is the victim of sexual assault. And she also lives with her two brothers, one of whom is in juvenile detention for a period of time. Echo is this exceptionally resilient girl, and part of it is because she's really a wizard. She can turn everyday situations around using the power of her mind, so she can tap into the darkness and what she sees as a black veil that surrounds everyone, and she can turn it into lightness. Echo strikes up this friendship with Elena, a white-passing queer hijabi, and together they use their wizarding powers to help Echo's brothers see their own potential. Something tragic happens to Echo, and she sees herself in her own mother's shoes and finds herself detached from reality, from her world, and she has this moment where she doesn't know if she can go on until she remembers the power she has within her and discovers a passion for words and poetry and wanting to rise from your situation and live her best dream life. This is a book that's told in a nonlinear fashion, and it's about literal black girl magic. It's about race and poverty, about intergenerational trauma, and about the ways black women have always been systemically oppressed. Um, Echo is dark-skinned and experiences both racism and colorism, and this becomes a huge challenge for her when she's given the opportunity to thrive in a new living situation where she sees what it looks like to, to view a functioning, healthy interracial relationship. Um, again, this is about black pain, but it's also about black magic, black resilience, and how black lives thrive even when the world around them wants them not to. It's a challenging read, but super rewarding. And again, nonlinear, super creative, full of magic. And that is Black Girl Unlimited by Echo Brown. It's funny because that is one of like two magic realism memoirs published this year so when you finish that read displacement by kiku hughes which is a graphic novel i just finished about a girl who keeps randomly ending up in the same internment camp that her grandmother was in during world war ii when japanese americans were rounded up and thrust into these camps so that's my quick little read-alike recommendation for that (laughs) because it's about a girl named Kiku Hughes and it's by Kiku Hughes. Um, My next pick is Ilotso by Darcy Little Badger and illustrated by Ravina Kai. I am super excited for this book. Um, So since I haven't read it yet, I'll read the little blurb. Imagine an America very similar to our own. It's got homework, best friends, and pistachio ice cream. There are some differences. This America has been shaped dramatically by the magic, monsters, knowledge, and legends of its peoples, those indigenous and those not. 
Some of these forces are charmingly everyday, like the ability to make an orb of light appear or travel across the world through rings of fungi. Obviously, I do that every day. But (laughs) other forces are less charming and should never see the light of day. Elazzo lives in this slightly stranger America. She can raise the ghosts of dead animals, a skill passed down through generations of her Lipan Apache family. Her beloved cousin has just been murdered in a town that wants no prying eyes. But she's going to do more than pry. The picture-perfect facade of Willoughby masks gruesome secrets, and she will rely on her wits, skills, and friends to tear off the mask and protect her family. This sounds so great, and I was mentioning the other day how I wish we had more illustrated books, like not just graphic Mm -hmm. novels, but the way when you're a kid, you just, there are illustrations in the novels you read, so... The fact that this is illustrated, I'm extra super excited. And the plot just sounds amazing. So that's Elatso by Darcy Little Badger, illustrated by Ravina Kai. My next pick is Each of Us a Desert by Marco Shiro. And Mark's debut YA, Anger is a Gift, is one of the most powerful YAs I've read in a long time. And their follow-up, which just hit shelves, is a standalone desert fantasy that sounds wildly up my alley. I haven't read it yet, so you're getting the description, but you better believe it is on my TBR. Zochital is destined to wander the desert alone, speaking her troubled village's stories into its arid winds. Her only companions are the blessed stars above and the enigmatic lines of poetry magically strewn across dusty dunes. Her one desire? To share her heart with a kindred spirit. One night Zoe's wish is granted in the form of Amelia, the cold and beautiful daughter of the town's murderous mayor. But when the two set out on a magical journey across the desert, they find their hearts could be a match. If only they could survive the nightmare-like terrors that arise when the sun goes down. That is Each of Us a Desert by Mark Oshiro. That is one of those books that I've had sitting on my physical TBR stack, to say nothing Mm -hmm. of my digital one. (laughs) And... I was, I mean, I couldn't read a book for like three days after I read Anger as a Gift. So Mark is amazing. Mm-hmm. My next pick, I wanted to, because I know we are both moved to more of the speculative end of things. I was like, I'm going to find a standalone high fantasy if it is the last <laughs> thing I do with my life. So I came across two, one that I've read and one that's um, on my TBR. So the TBR one is called Star Daughter by Shweta Mm. Takrar. So the little blip here is, if the night sky holds many secrets, it holds Shital Mystery's secret the closest. A secret that explains why her hair is the silver of starlight or why some nights the stars call Shital by name. Stars like her mother, who returned to her place in the constellation Pushya years ago. Since that day, Shital has been forced to hide. But as her 17th birthday draws near, the pull from the sky is growing stronger. So strong that Shital loses control, and a flare of starfire burns her human father, an injury only a full star's blood can heal. Shital has no choice but to answer the star song and ascend to the sky. But her celestial family has summoned her for a reason, to act as their human champion in a competition to decide the next ruling house of heavens. Desperate to save her father, Shital agrees, but nothing could have prepared Shital to face the star's dark history or the forces that are working to shut the gate between the realms for good. 
this seems to have so many levels of like whom can I trust I am mm. so excited it just it sounds amazing so that is Star Daughter by Shweta Takurai um, Shweta's writing is some of my favorite writing it's just gorgeous and lush so I'm really excited about this one because I suspect that that's going to be the case throughout the entire story that it won't just be a beautiful story but the writing itself will be magical my next and my last pick for this section for the show is also a fantasy and it's blaze wrath games by amparo ortiz this one just came out and it's been called how to train your dragon meets kidditch and it sounds like it is so much freaking fun and you know what else is fun this is a fantasy girl in sports so I'm going to read the little, oh the little blip. God. I know. I tied it all together um, unintentionally, but it was so beautiful. I had to point it out. So Lana Taurus has always preferred dragons to people. In a few weeks, 16 countries will compete in the Blaze Wrath World Cup, a tournament where dragons and their riders fight for glory in a dangerous relay. Lana longs to represent her native Puerto Rico in their first ever World Cup appearance. And when Puerto Rico is runner... The only player without a dragon steed is kicked off the team. She's given a chance. But when she discovers that a former Blaze Wrath superstar has teamed up with the Sire, a legendary dragon who's cursed into human form, for the safety of the cup is jeopardized. The pair are burning down dragon sanctuaries around the world and refuse to stop unless the cup gets canceled. All Lana wants to do is represent her country. Now to do that, she'll have to navigate an international conspiracy that's deadlier than her beloved sport. That is Blaze Wrath Games by Amparo Ortiz, and it sounds so fun. That's excellent. Sounds like a good read-alike for the Scorpio games, too. Or the Scorpio races. Scorpio races. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So my last pick for today is a book that weirdly... I'm going to take some hipster cred and say no one has heard of because I found it on Edelweiss last night and personally (laughs) added it to Goodreads because it wasn't even on there. Even though it has an ISBN and it comes out in January, which is very soon for like publishing, keeping on top of things. So it's called 30 Talks Weird Love by Alessandra Narvaez uh, Varela. So um, since I know nothing about this yet, but I downloaded it last night, I'll read the publisher's blip. So out of nowhere, a lady comes up to Ana Maria and says she's her from the future. But Ana Maria is 13. She knows better than to talk to some weirdo stranger. Girls need to be careful, especially in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. It is the 90s and fear is overtaking her beloved city as cases of kidnapped girls and women become alarmingly common. This 30-year-old future, in square qu- scare quotes, lady, does not seem to be dangerous, but she won't stop bothering her, switching between cheesy Hallmark advice about being kind to yourself and some mysterious talk about saving a girl. Ana Maria definitely doesn't need any saving. She is doing just fine. She works hard at her strict, grade-obsessed middle school, so hard that she hardly gets any sleep. So hard that the stress makes her snap, not just at mean girls, but even her own few friends. So hard that when she does sleep, she dreams about dying. But she just wants to do the best she can so she can grow up to be successful. Maybe 30's right. Maybe she's not supposed to be so exhausted with her life. But how can she ask for help when her city is mourning the much bigger tragedy of its stolen girls? So 
this A, I'm like, I know a little something about having a million jobs and being like, how dare you suggest that I am stressed out? Because that is the story of my life. (laughs) But also just, I feel like this idea of like the disappeared girls and women is still, it's so interesting. And we don't see a lot of books in the US for teens about it. I can only think of one other book that deals with it, um, Disappeared Mm -hmm. by Francisco X. Stork. So I am so excited about this and just the idea of your future self coming to warn you about things. Like I feel like every sci-fi show has an episode where, you know, that is a thing. There's a great angel episode, a great X-Files episode. It's just such a good concept. So I'm really excited to see how that kind of like semi silly time travel can coincide with this very serious um, topic of disappearing and kidnapping girls and women. So That's 30 Talks Weird Love by Alessandra Narvaez Varela, and it comes out in January. And you can add it to Goodreads because of me. (laughs) (laughs) I see, too, that it's a verse novel. So readers who are, like, super into that right now, which has been a huge push format-wise, I think that they'll be attracted for that and get a nice, you know, time travel story as well as this big heavy topic as well. Absolutely. And she's 13 and I feel like YA Mm -hmm. has moved very old over the last decade or so. So it's nice to Mm -hmm. see something about a younger teen. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you have feedback about the show, you can leave it on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing and it helps other people find us. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. And thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Instagram as Hey Kelly Jensen. And Hannah, where can people follow you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as SHG McLicious, which is my initials and a bar joke about Grey's Anatomy, as well as on Instagram as Bookish Girl Fit if you want um, some fitness ideas for bibliophiles. And we will talk to you all again in two weeks. Happy reading. Happy reading, guys. Happy reading.